I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Berlin, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Hello, Dunker Punks. My name is Alyssa, and I will be your host for yet another engaging episode focused on the Women's Caucus. It really is a God moment because I was recently having a conversation with my pastor about how the impact this group has goes beyond a simple space for empowering women, but empowering true spirit-led leadership. I recently received a letter from this group after I won a seat on the On Earth Peace Board through the annual conference ballot. This was my first time on the ballot, and it has always been a dream of mine to be a leader in the church and get on the annual conference ballot. It was encouraging having leaders and women I look up to take the time for this small encouragement and validation for people coming into leadership, especially me as a young person. This showed me that Women's Caucus is more than a group engaging female leaders to take on leadership roles, but a group of leaders empowered by the life and work of Jesus as they view leadership through the lens of equity, love, and justice. This new way of leadership is what this episode will focus on as we hear stories and reflect on the challenges in our communities and how they allow us to grow into our leadership capabilities. With that being said, Women's Caucus is disturbed. 
We have been a feminist justice-seeking group of volunteers within the Church of the Brethren for over 50 years. We celebrate the small victories, like the first woman elected moderator in 1989 is one example. And then we grieve regression, that when two women were on the moderator ballot in 2011, a man was nominated from the floor and won. And this may have happened more than once. If this seems confusing, just imagine that we finally have two women running for U.S. president, and then at the last minute, some man gets elected as a write-in candidate. Women's Caucus is disturbed, and we join with other church leaders to take responsibility, to empower individuals, to call the church to confront sexism, racism, homophobia, ableism, and institutionalism. And when all that isn't enough, to question what in our system needs to be unmade and rebuilt. In this episode, we listen to women and we believe women. We come before you in this holy virtual space to speak the truth of our stories, to listen and hear one another, to seek transformation into which you are leading this your church and your world. We ask your blessing on those who will share. In Jesus' name, amen. As Women's Caucus turned 50 years old, the steering committee used part of the pandemic time to reflect on what our history had been and what our future could be. And three focus areas really came to mind as areas for our attention. The first is working at education, understanding the issues that women face and many of the conditions that allow those issues to remain. A second focus area has been providing personal support. And the third focus area has been using information and what we've learned from both the first two to serve as an advocate, a bold and brassy voice for women and others who are oppressed, especially as we look at practices within our own church denomination, but also beyond the church walls. And so all of those factors come together tonight in this particular special evening. We really appreciate your being here as we make history and we are her story. Women's Caucus invited four women to share stories of barriers to leadership to generate deeper compassion and wiser energy for building a fierce, faithful, equitable church. We will hear parts of each panelist sharing. First, we will hear from Susan Boyer, pastor of Laverne Church of the Brethren. When I went before the district interview committee seeking to become a licensed minister over 40 years ago, one of the interviewers said to me, why are you pursuing this path? Does your father not have any sons? When my oldest son was in elementary school, the substitute teacher in his class said to him, did I hear that your mother is a pastor? Yes, my son said with pride. Teacher said, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this, but your mother is going to hell. Women aren't allowed to be pastors. I have so many stories like that in 36 years of ordained ministry that I am weary. In my early years in ministry, back when I was a rarity as a woman in ministry, I told myself it was just a matter of giving people the experience of women pastors 
to change the misogyny of the church. I was young, optimistic, and hopeful. But there came a point in time when it was absolutely clear (laughs) that I had wasted too much energy in conversations with Christians of both genders, or I've of genders (laughs) who wanted to educate me on how the Bible says I need to be quiet in church or it's okay for me, me to minister to other women but not men. At some point I just pivoted and I no longer spend any energy engaging that conversation. None. My job is not to defend my call. So I turned my focus to the local church and the opportunities I had to serve within the wider church. I said yes to leadership roles. I had a steady stream of invitations to do things at the district and denominational level. But it soon became clear to me that I was there as a token woman. And when I spoke, I think it was kind of like like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Like no one seemed to hear or understand what I had to say. And then minutes later when a man offered the exact same input, It was as as if he was the first to speak it. But I continued to accept these invitations, wanting women to be seen in leadership roles. Then the church I served before I came to Laverne made a statement of inclusion for people of all sexual orientations, with which I wholeheartedly agreed. I had been asked to preach at National Youth Conference 2002 when the Southeastern District of the Church of the Brethren called for a boycott against me and also for Deanna Brown. Um, My sin, according to them, was that I pastored an open and affirming church. They sent out a communication to other districts, encouraging them to ask their youth to stand up and walk out of worship when I got up to preach. The Southeastern District didn't follow Matthew 18. They didn't know me. They never spoke to me. Has there ever been a boycott against a man in the Church of the Brethren? I have wondered that. Over and over again, I was spoken to by white heterosexual men who told me that I needed to learn to behave. I asked for mediation with the district co-executives of the Southeastern District. What I learned in in that process is that power and privilege are protected in the church. As I wrote in the most recent femalings, my relationship with the church shifted after annual conference 2012. It was already shifting, but 2012 was the linchpin. The year before at annual conference 2011, some of you may remember, um, was the worst annual conference at least of my years in the Church of the Brethren. There was a death threat against a lesbian leader, a nomination of a man from the floor because there were two women on the ballot for moderator-elect and the man won, and a realization that we have many climate change deniers in our denomination. I still thought that women and progressives just had to work harder to change polity and change minds. My local church wrote a query for that conference asking how we could ensure gender equality in our elections. The answer was that we had taken care of that already back in 1974. Really, (laughs) really. It was all taken care of 38 years before. It sure didn't appear that gender equality was achieved. And I pivoted again. I no longer think it's my job to work harder and be brighter 
to prop up denominational structures that exclude, denominational structures that allow racism, misogyny, and homophobia to rule. When I'm asked to provide any kind of leadership in the denomination, I start by asking why I'm the one being asked. I no longer assume that I'm being asked because they need a token woman. I now assume it's because they need a token progressive. And leadership feels I'm safer as a straight progressive than as a queer progressive. I turn down almost all invitations. And I'm practicing shedding brethren politeness that aids the status quo. I've pivoted my focus from those who hold power to those who appear powerless in the structure, but in truth hold the power of the gospel in the very palm of their hands. And that is my story so far. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. Tell the story again. Thank you, Susan, for telling us these stories. Rebecca Flores, we want to hear your stories. We are so glad to be with you this evening. Thank you. I think for me, though, the most important aspect in in becoming accessible is to build relationships and get to know each other. By getting to know each other, you just may find ways to be more accessible and help each other. I experienced this myself firsthand. In 2012, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and common tasks became more difficult. I remember being asked to preach, but was worried I could not stand long enough. I know all I needed was a stool, but to be honest, I was embarrassed. After much conversation, I realized if I am asking other congregations to make sure that people make sure it's accessible and make adaptations, I need to be able to do that myself. I preached that Sunday from a stool at the pulpit. I will continue my ministry until those barriers are gone, until congregations are accessible and there will no longer be barriers to overcome. And that's my story so far. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. Tell the story again. Rebecca, thank you for your stories. Tabitha Rudy, 
You have come to us this evening to share your own stories, and we are so glad to hear from you. No one person or group is to blame because everything that has happened so far is the result of systemic assumptions and attitudes. I want to share some of the patterns I have observed um, and how what I have experienced fit um, unhealthy systems or dysfunctional systems. The first is that unhealthy systems don't know they're unhealthy or that anything is wrong. The warning signs are usually there. People refer, refusing to serve on the board because they've gone away in tears. Under the table dealings, refusing to be honest with one another. A former pastor with a ton of health issues, like almost having a heart attack during Bible study, I would say that those were warning signs. The second thing, we're never the problem. That's the attitude, right? We're never the problem. It's always them. Unhealthy systems blame anything and anyone, such as those people who throw a fit about you being a woman, they are the problem. We're better off without them. Or so-and-so has always been cranky. They'll get over it. Don't take it personally. Number three, Unhealthy systems believe that there's always been that one way to handle things, but aren't willing to disclose it until it's too late. They assume that you're going to know. And that one way is always the best way. For instance, you aren't supposed to do this. This is my responsibility. We've never done it that way before. Why isn't this thing happening this way? Or we're not like other churches. We do this one thing in a way more organized way. The others just do it willy-nilly. They don't care as much as we do. Number four, unhealthy systems lead to burnout because collaboration doesn't actually exist. If I have an idea, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be the only one to make it happen. And I might not tell anyone else about it until it's getting done. And why would I ever ask for help? And the last one, number five, Unhealthy systems refuse, refuse to engage in the difficult conversations. People will leave and totally ghost you rather than have a conversation about what's wrong or what has happened. Even when there is interpersonal conflict and others are asked to facilitate the conversation, people will choose to not participate and, or even return phone calls. In most cases, thankfully, if these patterns are named, and attempts are made to change them, the unhealthy system can change and adopt healthier patterns. This process isn't easy, but my congregation, we're slowly getting there. And that is my story so far. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. Tell the story again. Tabitha, thank you for your stories. And Catherine LaPointe, we are so glad to hear from you this evening. Take it away. Bring us your stories. So I worked there for seven years. I was, um, I had a title, you know, 
power is about titles and money and access. My title, I had two titles. When the church wanted to make decisions that I didn't agree with, um, I was the bookkeeper and did what I was told. And when the church wanted me to um, write letters and write Bible studies and run their stewardship campaign, um, this church had a million dollar budget. Then I was the financial secretary, depended on um, what kind of work they wanted me to do. Um, in about 2016, there was a change in leadership at that church. And the church wanted to join a network of local churches that had contemporary worship and a dynamic pastor and was extremely conservative. So um, our new bosses came in, this pastoral team, the staff sat there, and we were allowed to ask any question we wanted. So this is my story of speaking truth to power, which I think for women often comes in the format of asking questions, like Susan Boyer's question, why do you want me to speak? Um, and my first question was this, so I noticed on your church network website that you believe that the Bible is inerrant. Can you talk to me about why you use that phrase instead of infallible? And it's a kind of a technical differentiation between every single word and period and punctuation mark is God breathed. And infallible is, well, there's multiple authors and there's different translations and um, and God's word will serve its purpose, even though there's some questions about which um, scroll you're looking at. And that pastor, the new pastor was like, oh, and he kind of dissembled. Well, I'll have to look into that. Um, my next question was explaining our church's position on full inclusion. And I said, how will inclusion be handled when you're the pastor? And he, there, I mean, everyone in the room, like just slid back in their chair. Um, again, this was in 2016. My youngest daughter was um, uh, 15 at that time and about a year away from coming out as a lesbian. This is before I even knew. And he was, the pastor looked at me and said, well, in these matters, we just really have to look to the Bible and making any of those kinds of decisions is above my pay grade. <laughs> and I, I asked myself this question because I wasn't going to say it out loud, but my question was, what do we pay you for then? Um, as can you can imagine, um, I no longer work there after that meeting, but as we were leaving, a male said to me, it actually doesn't matter who said it. He said to me, who knew that the bookkeeper would have any interest in theology? Um, so I didn't work at the church at all for quite some time. I spent some time in the desert until I met Pastor Sarah Haldeman Scar here in San Diego in connection with my immigration work. And um, I joined the church and she invited me. Uh, she told me, Catherine, you are more brethren than you know. And she invited me to the Women's Clergy Conference, and I'll get to that. But I want to tell you, I echo what my um, siblings have said here, is that even if structures approve it, doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen. Even if structures 
um, promote or allow leadership that isn't um, cishet male. That doesn't mean that we'll get those jobs or we will be listened to. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. We are part of one another. Tell the story again. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing your story and for being part of us. We are so glad to be part of you. And we are so grateful to be joining together this body of fierce, brave, wise women. Then panelists talked with one another. Susan Boyer posed a fundamental challenge to wrestle with. The title of this event is Speaking Truth to Power, which I think is absolutely important and essential. But it also strikes me a bit, a tad bit, like the way that we deal with violence against women, for example. We teach women safety techniques instead of focusing on um, who's perpetuating the violence against women. And so on the other side of the coin of speaking truth to power, I think is power listening to truth. Um, And I wonder, like, what truth, what do you need power to deeply listen to? when it comes to the barriers that you've experienced in your leadership. We invite you all to wrestle with this question in your own life. Women's Caucus coordinated a workshop last week and has another one next month addressing this challenge, calling on those in power in the Church of the Brethren to listen up, to learn, to change, and to get out of the way of new leadership rising up. To get more information and get the Zoom link for this workshop, you can email Women's Caucus at women, spelled W-O-M-A-E-N-S, caucus cob at gmail.com or you can join their facebook event and mark going and you will receive the zoom link via that page now let's hear from annalisa about this upcoming workshop on tuesday october 5th it's at 8 p.m eastern we're having a session to talk about the cost of leadership what it really costs us to be leaders within the church because we get a lot of invitations to consider putting our names up for nomination or filling out the forms if we have been nominated. But there are so many reasons that people don't follow through on that. Women's Caucus learned that at least 50% of the people who actually get nominated don't even fill out that nominee information form. And so they can never be considered for the ballot. So we'd like to explore with people, what are those reasons? What are the costs of leadership? And some that we've already been hearing about include that, especially for moms, but this could be for any parent or grandparent, having childcare 
in order to be able to attend meetings. That can be a challenge. It's not just about the financial cost. It's also just finding the consistent, trustworthy help that people need to make that work. And um, there's an emotional cost to being part of a committee or some other elected office. It's, it can be very vulnerable for people, especially those people who have been traditionally marginalized in the church, whether that's due to sexuality or gender or race and ethnicity, whether it's due to language or national status, or even just geography. Predominantly, our leaders that are elected within the Church of the Brethren are from Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio, states that are all in the eastern part of the country. And so any of these ways that we feel exposed or vulnerable, they are all costs of leadership. And there are reasons to equip and empower people for the current system. You know, it inform people about how to take part in leadership and Women's Caucus wants to do that. And at the same time, we want to be cautious. What system are we equipping and empowering people to participate in? Is this a system that is worthy of people's energy and commitment and risk? Or does this system really need to be refurbished, if not utterly transformed? What we want to do on Tuesday, October 5th, is get out on the table transparently what these costs are of leadership not only to support and honor one another's experiences, but also to build, to begin to build a picture together of what it means to be a leader in the church. And then we can start to ask more specific targeted questions about what kind of structure would honor people's gifts, would honor people's call into leadership. Just one other example of that would be for those people who do fill out their nomination nominee information form and then are considered for the ballot all along the way most people get no as the response by far most people whose names are put up for an elected office won't be elected and so each year if we're gathering 70 or 90 names of people but then we elect about eight people that's so many people who have heard a no from the church. And really what was intended was a yes. What was intended by nominating someone is to affirm their gifts, to affirm their strengths, and to affirm their place within this church. But most people are hearing a no. And I know that there are annual conference officers and leaders who have tried to work at framing it as a yes, but Women's Caucus is concerned about that math. We're concerned that, especially for those people who make it on the ballot, who are by far the most exposed, that half of the people we have said are absolutely the most qualified for these positions every year, half of them have a very public no. And so there's been conversation about a slate rather than a ballot. A slate would be prepared and then affirmed by the delegate body rather than delegates voting between people. But a slate requires a lot of trust in our nominating committee, in our standing committee, because they would be the ones preparing that slate. And the Church of the Brethren has a scarcity of trust right now. So all of these costs of leadership are very important to Women's Caucus, and we would really like to discuss them with you, with all of you on Tuesday, October 5th. Also, if that's not your forum of 
comfort, if you'd rather not get on a Zoom with a bunch of people, we would love to hear from you by email or on Twitter or however you reach out, Women's Caucus, C-O-B at Gmail or W Caucus is our Twitter handle. And we're eager to explore this with you. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of the Dunker Punks family as we practice the radical discipleship and leadership we have seen and heard. The Dunker Punks podcast is a place to facilitate this faith-led and spirit-filled leadership and radical ministry. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to host. Again, my name is Alyssa Parker, identifying as she, her. A huge thank you to Women's Caucus for your audio contribution and Jacob Krauss for editing this episode, as well as creating all the amazing music. Continued thanks to Ali Cooney, who manages communication, Suzanne Lay, who manages production, and Arlington Church of the Brethren, as well as Owner of Peace, who sponsored the show. You can find us online on iTunes and subscribe, leave comment, and at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. We would also love if you followed us on our social medias at Dunker Punks Pod, where we can interact with you and you can get some really cool behind the scenes information on episodes. You can also email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Also be on the lookout for our next episode on hymns and cancel culture coming out on September 18th. Once again, thank you, Dunker Punks. Until the next time, let us go out in peace.